Welcome to On Your Radar, Teens in Crisis. This is a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. This podcast is titled Epidemic Within the Pandemic. And our guests are Dr. Tom Wright from Rosecrans, the chief medical officer, and Jason Relly, LCPC, Rosecrans Clinical Director of Adolescent Services. And I'm John Williams. You can hear me weekdays from 9 to noon on WGN Radio. With a long history of leadership in treatment for substance use and mental health disorders, Rosecrans has grown to more than 60 locations across Chicago, northern Illinois, central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Rosecrans is a private, not-for-profit organization offering comprehensive, nationally accredited, evidence-based addiction and mental health treatment for children, teens, young adults, and adults. In this series, we will focus on youth and their pandemic-related recovery. Knowing that young people face challenges in the best of times, the coronavirus world of 2020 and 2021 have made some of life's obstacles even more acute. So, gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Let's just talk a little bit about what's happened. I think there's lots of things that have been hard on young people and their families. First of all was this sort of sudden change in how they had to relate to friends and how they had to go to school. We all had to adjust to that very rapidly when we were looking last year at about this time. We had to all of a sudden you know, begin to work from home, separate from our friends, um, and be more intensely with your family. And all of those things are very difficult for teenagers to do, the sudden change as well as sort of loss of friendships and more intense relationships with their families. I think there's been a little little bit of a buck up and get with the program attitude among adults. But maybe, Jason, that's not a fair way to treat teenagers, or is it? Can you just kind of kick them in the rear end and say, get with the program? Right now, what we're seeing is that is not probably the best approach to take with a lot of the teenagers. They are struggling with having to be home for periods of time, as Dr. Wright alluded to. They're not able to see their friends get out of the home, and they already have a lot of stress going on with their parents, family members. There's stress within the home that sometimes they need outlets for, and telling them to just buck up, as you said, or get over it doesn't really validate their experience wholly. That's an interesting point. Validate their experience. Because I do think that we do say and somewhat expect that of adults. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody likes what 2020 and 2021 have been about, but we expect that you'll be able to get through it. (laughs) Maybe that's not even fair for adults. But I guess my point is teenagers are almost biologically different creatures, mentally, emotionally, and, and biologically. Maybe they're not capable of handling things on a level that adults are. Is that true? Yeah. What I like to tell families when I'm working with them is I would not expect you to put a math assignment in front of someone without teaching them the skills and have them be able to complete that. It's the same when they're struggling with the pandemic or stressors or other emotions that they have to regulate. We have to be able to be there, teach them the skills, mentor, and show them the right way to cope with everything going on. They are very resilient teenagers, and they can manage, but they also need that guidance and support to do so. And Tom, I don't suppose it's 
accurate to say that adults have been sailing through this unscathed anyway. So I don't know the buck up and get what the program has been working for anybody, right? Oh, I think that's hard for all of us. But I think you're right. You know, teenagers are wired differently. They're First of all, they're wired to want to be able to separate from the family and have relationships outside that. But they're also wired to have more labile, more ups and downs emotions, and to be a little bit more um, uh, related to the emotions that are going on right then and there. And sometimes because they look like adults, sort of, you can look at them and, you know, Johnny could be shaving and, you know, they could be dating someone and things like that, but they're not on the inside driving, you know, all these things we did. But on the inside, we know that biologically their, their development, their neural development doesn't really mature until they're about 25 years old. And so they're left with some of those sort of teenage childhood emotions that they have to manage at the same time where they don't think they have to manage those emotions. That's where we as parents have to step in and realize what's happening to them because they're not necessarily going to recognize. That. What do you mean by that? We need to recognize that uh, that they aren't fully ad- adults yet. The teenagers will say they are adults. Obviously, we've all you know seen that where we think we know everything at that point in time, and that's a hallmark of many teenagers. But we as adults have to realize that they don't, and we often do. But we have to recognize that they may be feeling different, and we have to validate that. Just as Jason said, that they may feel like they know what they need to do, but we know they don't, and so we have to be more creative, more thoughtful, more careful about. Uh, uh, pushing them to do the things they need to do in order to manage the pandemic. And even masks might be a good topic to talk about. You Why know? masks? What do you mean? Well, teenagers often don't think that anything's going to happen to them. And they're right in terms of coronavirus. It doesn't hurt them as badly, so they might not think they have to do it. Then the adults around them have to teach them about why they need to do it, how it helps others, you know, how it helps the whole community, and maybe not just for themselves. I've also seen the mask as a bit of a metaphor, teenagers sort of hiding behind mm. the pandemic, not wanting to deal with these issues, not knowing what to say. And now we all have masks on, which sort of hides some measure of our emotions. And it's almost a worst case scenario where not only are you dealing with this, but now we're sort of shielding ourselves from our, our feelings. Absolutely. We can put the mask on, we can put our hoods up and tie it real tight, and then we don't have to manage the world around us. We can isolate in our rooms. Teenagers can go lock themselves away for hours. They're not forced to go to school necessarily. They can click on the virtual online schooling and just leave it unattended for hours at a time. Parents may not be able to check on them as much. So they can they can hide away from the world. And a lot of those feelings and emotions won't be recognized or seen because a lot of the gatekeepers for that are the teachers, the counselors they've been interacting with in person, and that may not be happening as much. Yeah, I wonder if it's harder or easier than to see some of the problems with the kids. They may be more acute, but they may be more hidden as well. Can you talk about that? I think you're exactly right that they're happening at the same time. So as acuity may be going up so that teen is able to lock themselves in the room again and maybe they have alcohol or some other substances at their disposal within the house they can use unbeknownst to family members and it's a little more normalized or permissive in the sense that okay i don't have my eyes on someone 24 7 there haven't been at school for six or seven hours of the day and the same goes for mental health concerns and regulating those emotions that teenager is able to say no i'm just going to be in my room or i'm going to go play games with my friend for hours on end and parents aren't checking in as much necessarily, or they have so much going on themselves with other children in the home Mm -hmm. or 
daycare or something has been disrupted. So they have to manage each one of those situations, and that's stressful. And then on top of that, having to recognize the warning signs of your teenager who may have mental health or substance use concerns, that's a hard job. What are those warning signs? I think any immediate change in their behavior that you can notice over time. And that's a general answer just to say, be present and pay attention to what's going on with your teen. So if they weren't someone who was um, staying away from you, not attending family dinners or not willing to come out and go to a movie, and that's changed, recognize that. If there are uh, manipulation or, or sneakier behaviors where they're hiding things from you, you're noticing that uh, they aren't as present with you or you're asking them questions and they're avoidant of some of those questions. They're not talking as much about their interests or hobbies. And that's already drifted because many sports and different things like that have been canceled. But if they're not even willing to talk about some of those things, we have to be aware of that because that network of support for them has all changed. How do they get access to drugs and alcohol under these sorts of circumstances? Uh, I think a lot of the access that we see the teens get is through um, connections that they might have online or through uh, social media or social networks that they have. And They I, physically I, have to meet someone. Though. They often physically have to meet someone. And people do leave. They go out for walks or they walk their dog or they're going to go out for a drive. And that's what they'll say that they're going to do. So they still have those activities that can happen. And oftentimes that's when that. That meetup happens. What we've been describing are a series of circumstances that makes a kid really anxious. Maybe they have some mental health issues as a result, however acute. But isn't it a separate animal entirely to begin abusing drugs and alcohol? Or is it a transition? Does it just one little step lead to another? That's a that's a great question, but I, I you know at Rosecrans we really don't see uh, substance use disorders and mental health disorders as separate. They're part of what happens oftentimes with a human being, and whether one happens first or the other, it's uh, it's sometimes difficult to understand. We often see, and the studies really show that uh, many times substance use can be a symptom of a mental health problem, particularly trauma. You know, when you look especially at girls, uh, either women or girls that we see at Rosecrans, and look at their background, uh, substance abuse may be often started in probably about 80% of the cases after a particular trauma started. So in those cases, we're not looking at something separate. We're looking at a continuum in a person that results from some trauma. Would a pandemic constitute a trauma? Certainly, a pandemic can, and sometimes it intensifies those relationships that may be bad because of the family situation that they may be isolated with. So sometimes that it can t- intensify it, and you sort of lose outlets from it. But certainly, uh, you know, many people have lost a loved one during this pandemic. You know, we're you know five hundred, six hundred thousand people that have lost. So, so many many people have direct relatives that they've lost as a result of it, and certainly that's a traumatic, traumatic event that can affect a lot of kids. But let's talk a little bit more specifically about alcohol and substances. What are you thinking, Jason? In in terms of the use, even what we've seen at Rosecrans and, and anecdotally from the clients I meet with and we meet with as a team, we have seen that substances have, alcohol is more available. There are opportunities for individuals more and more to go on those walks, to make those connections outside. And we want to get outside of the house and we're ultimately then coping with all of this stress going on over the last year, that substances have increased that uh, ability to cope with things and everything going on. And we've seen uh, marijuana use is almost has been normalized to a degree within some of the teens. And you can use substances while you're at virtual school. 
if it's readily available to you in the home, we, we've had several teens say to us, well, I use daily still. So even that block of going to school for that period of time and having eyes on you teachers, now you can just do that in your home while you're logged on to school. Well, it's tough enough for the teachers as it is and the students and then throw that into the mix. But as specifically as you can, um, can you describe a a typical case that Rosecrans has been working with of late or, or will in the future for that matter as more and more families emerge and maybe more and more problems begin to get addressed? But give me an example of a young person that we're talking about and how they got there and what treatment is available. Yeah, so the typical uh, child or adolescent we see, our average age that they come into treatment for residential for is 16, but we would often, when getting the history for them, we would see that something had happened with them earlier on, and trauma is often uh, a piece that we might see of it. Sometimes they might be from what we might call intact families or broken families, um, but oftentimes we see nicotine beginning relatively early with them. That's the first, you know, the earlier that you begin using nicotine, the more likely it is you're going to develop, for instance, a heroin disorder later on by your late teens. So nicotine seems to be the entry drug for it. We'd see uh, marijuana usually happening after that. And then oftentimes we, uh, we've talked a lot about the opiate crisis over the last several years, but oftentimes there might be an injury that the child had and got introduced to narcotics through that, and then they develop a, an opiate uh, uh, use uh, disorder as a result of that. And then, you know, typically they might not come in until they, until they start failing with school or developing other troubling behaviors such as depression, or a lot of our kids, um, very typically of our kids, develop what we call non-suicidal self-injury or cut themselves as a way of releasing tension. And that seems to be a common uh, symptom that we see that often uh, uh, often adults can see mm-hmm. and bring them into treatment for. Jason, that sounds a little bit like the problem with or maybe the mistake I'm making of trying to separate mental health issues from substance abuse and alcohol issues. I can see how they come together. Everything is intertwined in that way. And we don't look at necessarily what started first, but we look at what's going on right now and then start to treat what's happening all around it. So as Dr. Wright said, that school performance is a huge one that we've seen over the last year, especially as you haven't been able to have the structure and the routines to be able to go to school or go to counseling as you usually would. Many people who have traditionally gotten good grades or um, done a lot of after-school activities, they've been in a position where now they're failing classes. So they may have already had some anxiety or some substance use that was happening, but it didn't become problematic to their functioning every day. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden they're having to manage, I'm so behind in all these classes. I don't know how to catch up. I'm not getting the support of my family around me or the teachers to instruct me. I don't have the counseling. And so maybe that use increases, that anxiety increases, and then really they're coping with unhealthy coping skills together. And the isolation is maybe the accelerant here, isn't it? Yes. Social connections that our our teens and family members need, that support that they're used to and that they have, has has been in some ways disrupted completely. We've been able to pivot at Rosecrans into more virtual treatment, things like that. But 
others may not have been able to do that in their areas. So they're not accessing the same resources um, for substance use. They're not going to meetings that they would have before where they really get that community and fellowship feel. And, and right now, there there isn't that support even from your friends. If you want to go, hey, I want to go talk to my friend down down the street or at their home or at school for 10 minutes while I'm in passing, I'm just going to talk to them and vent about what happened last night. That may be gone. And that matters a lot? That matters a lot. It's really important for the development of teens from the social skill, as well as this is their peer group. This is who they relate to. This is where they share those darker moments with. This is where they develop their strengths out of and are are validated and reinforced. Uh, Their wellness is challenged in some ways, but in positive ways as well, I think. So removing that and not having something to supplement or replace that, it can be absolutely huge. Yeah, in treatment, we talk a lot about developing coping skills, you know, and that's what we try to uh, teach them to do. But what Jason brings out here in that isolation, they, most teenagers, most of their coping skills are related to talking to someone who understands them. And that's often not an adult or a parent, it often appear and appear that they know very well. And we take away with this isolation with the pandemic a major coping skill for many of these teenagers. So it's no wonder in many ways their symptoms worsen. And maybe they don't even realize that they're quote unquote coping, right? That's just living. And yet absent that, now you have the lack of coping and now you've got these problems, right? I had never thought about it in those terms. Mm -hmm. It would seem to me like visiting with your friends or a teacher you trust or somebody you like is just natural, but not maybe essential, but maybe it is more than parents and the rest of us realize. Yeah. In the clinical world, we call that coping skills, right? That's what we teach and that's what we uh, try to treat people. But in the real world, what we call it is relationships, connections, community, makes us feel good, makes us feel warm, makes us feel whole, makes us understand ourselves. Uh, Fellas, just one last thing maybe you could touch on briefly and more of the podcasts in this series might address this, but so what should a parent be doing when they first see these things start to surface? Well, I think the first thing parents need to do, listen to podcasts like this and educate themselves to know what their teenager could be going through and then to start watching out for it, educate themselves, learn a little bit more about these things. And as Jason says, there's things to watch for, you know, sort of changing in behaviors, maybe more isolation, maybe changing in hygiene that they're doing, you know, as much as, you know, if they're having an eating disorder, you might see them eating less or getting smaller. There's all kinds of other things that you see that are happening out of the ordinary that you should not be afraid to talk to your teenager about. And I think... That's one of the things that we struggle with a lot is don't be afraid to bring it up to your teenager to discuss it. Do you think if I started soon enough talking to my teenager about it that I might prevent some of these things we've been talking about? A lot of evidence about that with substance use, especially the earlier you talk to not just your teenager, but your older grade school, the earlier parents start talking to them, frankly, about substance use and where it's going to go, the more likely it is you're going to develop a healthy uh, communication relationship to talk about that in the future. So don't be afraid to bring it up is what we always tell people. And the earlier, uh, to some degree, the better. Well, I'm terrified to bring it up because I'm either terrified and I'm in a kind of denial or... Jason, I'm afraid I'm going to make it worse because now there's agitation and they're saying you're nagging me or you don't trust me. I don't know what they're going to say, but I can just imagine that touching that is only going to make it feel hotter. And I'm trying to lower the temperature in the room. And that resistance can be there. You may experience all of those emotions, that denial, that fear, that anger, being scared. 
you're you're probably scared a little bit of the answer you're going to receive mm-hmm. from that teen if they are struggling with any suicidal ideations, increased substance use. What we would say is then that's a time if you're noticing some of those behaviors and that shift and change, then seek out that professional support as well. There are parent support groups that exist. There are assessments you can get if you're struggling with having that initial conversation. Let some of the professionals manage some of those emotions as well because it is the whole family then that will receive that treatment. You know, that's what we say on the radio sometimes when we talk about Rosecrans is that you may be afraid to talk about this because you're afraid you're going to make it worse. And maybe that's the only thing to guarantee that you will <laughs> is, is not talking about it, right? Oh, totally. I mean, I, I think sometimes parents feel like it's worse because then they know about it. If they didn't know about it before, sometimes we all are guilty of that at times. We just don't want to hear about something. But, bad, if, but. but if, doctor, if you said a moment ago that maybe talking about it might actually be a bit preventive exactly. uh, and, and maybe it won't be, but at least now, uh, if that failing that, then maybe Rosecrans is a place we go, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I, there's evidence that's going to be a preventive, but there's no evidence that it's going to trigger substance use. And so if you are struggling and you're having those conversations with your teens and they're still struggling with these things, we're happy to just call us and we'll do an evaluation over the phone and help you figure out what the best next step might be. I'm glad you said that. I think that's one of the most interesting, maybe important things I've heard, that you're not going to make it worse. Oh, absolutely not. No. You would agree with that? Yes. You can actually be teaching communication skills. And even if that teen is not open to having that conversation in the moment, they now know you are someone who is willing to listen and willing to support them if they're struggling a couple days from now, a month from now they may go to you with that conversation in the future. So it can be planting the seeds for a conversation down the road that will have a lot of positive effects. The thing that I would want everybody to know about is that Rosecrans offers treatment that works, and there is treatment, scientific evidence-based treatment out there that works for all of our mental health issues and substance use issues. So don't be afraid to come in because you think there's nothing that can be done that's going to help. We have treatments that help, and you have to access those services in order to get that help. That's Dr. Tom Wright from Rosecrans. He is the chief medical officer there. And Jason Relly, LCPC at Rosecrans, the clinical director of adolescent services. I'm John Williams, and this is On Your Radar, Teens in Crisis. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, northern and central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Click on rosecrans.org or call 866-330-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting.